But inside the final furlong is Kieran Fallon on footsteps in the sand who leads up the hill now from Candidate. Rebel Rebel tries to run on Dubawi on the near side, but footsteps in the sand. Giant strides on the turf at Newmarket and wins the guineas. And it's Virginia Waters who comes swooping by Maid's Causeway and Karen's caper. And it's a classic double for Aidan O'Brien and Kieran Fallon. Virginia Waters hacks up in the guineas. Elwood Care on the other flank from Lancaster Bomber. Churchill's in front, narrowly on the run to the line. Barney Roy and Elwood Care come, but Churchill won the guineas. But Winter leads the way to Daban on the near side. Rhododendron is picking up well, but it's too late. And Winter wins the guineas. For the first time in 70 years, a monarch will be crowned in the UK with the coronation of King Charles. But the big question for us is who's going to be crowned the winners of the 2000 and the 1000 guineas at Newmarket. The first classics of the season are upon us and Aidan O'Brien is sure to have a big say. No trainer in the history of racing has won more British classics than the master of Ballydoyle. 39 British classics to his name already. And is he going to be able to land some more? He's won 10 2000 guineas, more than any other trainer in history, seven 1000 guineas, and he's done the double four times. As you just heard, Footsteps in the Sand and Virginia Waters in 2005, Camelot and Homecoming Queen in 2012, Churchill and Winter in 2017, Magna Grecia and Hermosa in 2019. He's got August Roden and Little Big Bear to go to war with in the 2000 guineas and the Breeders' Cup and Royal Ascot heroine Meditate and never-ending story, winner of the Irish 1000 guineas trial at Leopardstown on her season reappearance. It is going to be a cracking weekend. Uh, to break it all down, I'm Emmett Kennedy, joined as always on Thursdays by Tom Forms' Mark Milligan. Mark, as you look at the 2000 guineas picture, and it's difficult to assess how good these horses can be when this is their first race of the season. But what is the feel, given the fact that you've an extensive background as a two-year-old handicapper for time form? What's your overall feel for the class of this year's two classics, beginning with the 2000 guineas? Yeah, I think the the overall feel that I get is that we're looking at a potentially above-average group of three-year-olds this year, which hasn't always been the case, has it, over the last couple of years? Obviously, the the Ballydoyle hype machine has gone into overdrive about August Rodan and his potential to be a triple crown winner. Obviously, it'd uh, be quite appropriate if he does the first leg of the triple crown on Coronation Weekend, wouldn't it? And mm-hmm. Little Big Bear, who was the best two-year-old on figures that we saw last season, without a doubt, attempting to stretch his stamina out to a mile. We've also got Chaldean, who we spoke about, didn't we, um, not so long ago, and his uh, uh, new breed debacle with Frankie Dottori heading out the side door. We've also got, th- there's more depth here than just those three, isn't there? We've got Sakia from Roger Varian's yard, who looks a really, really good two-year-old and a potentially above-average three-year-old, a good one-two punch from Charlie Appleby, and Indestructible, who took the uh, who took the main trial for this race, the Craven. So I think we've got real depth to this year's 2000 guineas, and I'd be hopeful that we're going to see an above-average winner. Yeah, I think we are going to see an above-average winner, and hopefully that's going to be the case. Certainly the top end of the market looks quite exciting. You can see assuming that people are still blindly following the sport and the animal rights protesters haven't got into their heads and turned them all against us, a gamble developing on Royal Scotsman just because of the name. Uh, But in terms of 
August Roden, I'm not entirely certain about this whole Triple Crown thing. And cue him absolutely destroying his rivals in the 2000 Guineas now. But that question and the way it was phrased to him was, is there a horse in the yard who can win the Triple Crown? And the only one that realistically could do that is August Roden. Little Big Bear isn't going to stay a mile four. Uh, and certainly won't be staying a mile six. And they didn't have anything else entered in the race that could have gone down that route. And so it was a pretty open question. It wasn't just that Aidan O'Brien himself said, we're confident he'll win the guineas, we're bullish about the derby, and the lads will have to seriously consider the Triple Crown then. What do you make uh, of, of that assessment? I'm not downplaying his ability, but winning a Group 1 over a mile as a two-year-old when you've got a middle-distance pedigree, is very, very different to winning a classic over a mile when you're going to be going up against a fast winner of the Dewhurst and the, a stable companion who is literally the European champion juvenile. Mm. And it's worth pointing out that those two wins over a mile at the, the back end of last year came on deep ground, didn't they? Particularly the Doncaster Futurity, which was run on heavy ground. And everything about his pedigree suggests he's a middle distance horse doesn't it rather than a speedy miler mm. and when we're, when we're punting it basically prices everything isn't it and at the current odds i think he's around about 13 to 8 isn't he august rodan for a horse who is up against some speedy rivals on a track that tends to favor speed on ground that will be very different to the ground that he ran on on his last couple of starts last season, I, I think the percentage call is you've got to take him on, haven't you? Yeah, I think so, especially at the price now. Uh, and look, I, I love this horse. I put him up for the Derby uh, last year before Irish Champions Weekend. I was convinced he would be the number one. I'm now hunting around to try and find something to beat him because I was a little bit too smart with how I backed him. I did back him in a small single for the Derby. Nothing to write home about, but the big bet that I put him in was with Luxembourg for the Ark, and with Aesop's Fables for the 2,000 guineas, which went horribly, horribly wrong. Uh, so, ay-yay-yay. Um, but hey, look, we'll get something back for him if, if he manages to win at Epsom. I just, I can completely see why Ryan Moore is on board. I get it. Um, there's a question mark about Little Big Bear's ability to, to truly stay out a mile. Oshin Murphy was on the show a number of times last year, and he was saying that he doesn't see any issue uh, about stamina. In fact, he thinks he would be better over a mile and can see him being a 10 furlong horse going forward. But he hasn't run since August. He hasn't run at seven furlongs. And there's a question mark there, uh, for sure. Whereas August Roden is coming in after a, a win in October, and the hype machine is very much there. But it can't have been an easy decision for him, Mark. No, I don't think it, it would have been, would it? I think they're, they're both clearly very, very talented horses. And in terms of little Big Bear's ability to stay a mile, certainly on pedigree, you'd have absolutely no worries, worries whatsoever, would you? Um, his damn... She was a, a mile and a quarter winner. She was by Bering, who was a good German-bred mile and a half horse. He's a half-brother to three middle-distance winners. I think the doubt comes with how much natural speed he's shown as a two-year-old, isn't it? And I think that's mm. why people are questioning 
his ability to stay a mile simply because he's got so much natural speed and clearly he gets that from from his sire no nay never doesn't seem to take after that side of the pedigree more than the dam side of the pedigree until he does it we just don't know on pedigree i'd i'd say it's it's an absolute given that he'd stay a mile but there's obviously the nagging doubt that they kept him to sprinting last season didn't they and even talked about dropping back to five furlongs after his latest win at the current in august so there's they're obviously seeing something at ballydoyle to suggest that they think little big bear is a sprinter going forward rather than a miler but there's nothing to lose have they by taking a shot here because he if he doesn't stay they just drop back to the commonwealth cup at royal ascot don't they yeah and don't be surprised if that doesn't actually be the way it pans out. It may very well be the US Navy flag route that they go with them. That if it doesn't quite happen for him in the 2000 guineas, you still give him the opportunity in the Irish 2000 guineas and even in the St. James's Palace Stakes because the Antarctic didn't pull up any trees on his season reappearance, but he's surely better than that. Um, And he's a horse that could be a big player in the Commonwealth Cup. Aesop's Fables, Aidan O'Brien, who was second in that race on comeback, he's talked extensively about him this season as being a sprinter that they got him wrong last year and you and I have talked about him an awful lot as well um, we had Charlie Fellows on the show last year and he was talking about how the word was out that Aesop's Fables was regarded as highly as Little Big Bear and and look that kind of stuff can happen from time to time and it just doesn't quite go forward but I don't think there's too much of a doubt about him actually getting the trip um, I'm sure Oshin would have been delighted if he got the call to, to ride but it would appear as though with the way things are at Ballydoyle right now that Wayne Lorden is very much the number two. Um, that's not saying anything negative about Jamie Heffernan, but Jamie rode Little Big Bear to victory, and he's not on board. It's Wayne is, and Wayne has been riding an awful lot of the two-year-olds so far this season, so we'll keep an eye on that one, and it's a useful piece of information to have going forward. Um, but I I really am excited by Little Big Bear, and, and I would be I would be surprised if if he runs a master craftsman type race in the 2000 guineas, I'd be surprised if they just automatically said, yeah, now we're going to go sprinting with him. Because who do they really have for the 2000 guineas in Ireland? You know, who stands out as being a potential Irish 2000 guineas horse? Uh, maybe Hans Anderson? Possibly. We'll see what he does in France. Uh, I think you and I have talked before. I've, I've said I think he's a Jersey horse, but that's not to say he can't get a mile and that that's not going to be something that he'll be able to do. But you have to think about what their plans are, and hopefully we'll have Aiden on the show in the next couple of weeks. Um, but I firmly believe Little Big Bear will stay. The statistics against him are he hasn't raced at seven furlongs. That's a major negative. I think you have to go back to 1999 for the last horse who's won a 2,000 guineas without that level of experience uh, or without that ability of actually seeing out that trip. But it's there in pedigree. Look, he's literally related to uh, a jumper who's won over two miles. I, I don't see that as being an issue. And also, this thing about No Name Ever is not training on. I mean, that's just proven to be absolute nonsense now. Alcohol Free has uh, dismissed that and a number of other horses as well. It's just the fact that he's been off the track for 273 days. He won't lack for fitness coming from Ballydoyle. And we know that Aidan O'Brien's training regime for his classic contenders, particularly for the Guineas horses, when Holy Roman Emperor was taken away and brought to stud to replace George Washington, who was swapped and brought back, we learned 
how Aiden trains his his uh, three-year-olds for the guineas. They're in a different regime and they're much more forward. And Aiden's horses have been on fire so far this season. There have been plenty of years where Aiden has rocked up to Newmarket with the, the art seemingly in dire straits, seemingly in terrible form, and then he ends up walking away with both classics. So these horses will be forward, they'll be ready, but to my mind, Little Big Bear should stay a mile. I think he will get the trip. He might even be better for it. And it's just a question of, a little bit like George Washington, you need to see it before you can actually believe that he's going to do it. Uh, I think he will stay. And the five to one is a carrot that I'm finding it difficult to get away from. Uh, but there is another horse in this race that I'm, I'm quite keen on. But of the two Ballydoyle horses, I mean, from a price perspective, it's, it's pretty simple. You go a little big bear, but price, form, racings, speed, how do you assess the whole thing between the two? I mean, Ryan rarely gets it wrong, but Frankie Dittori has ridden the 1,000 guineas winner for Aiden O'Brien a number of years. He's, Ryan's been on the wrong one a couple of times. Um, he went to, to America to Ryan Mendelssohn when Donica O'Brien won on Magna Grecia. Uh, Donica was on board Saxon Warrior. How do you split those two and which one would you favour? Yeah, I think um, you, you kind of summed it up quite succinctly there. I think if we're looking purely on what they achieved as two-year-olds, then Little Big Bear had the better form. He was time forms top-rated two-year-old last season. His performance in that Phoenix Stakes at the Curra was absolutely sensational. It's There's obviously the doubt as to why we didn't see him after that, presumably. I, I haven't read too much about this. Did he have a setback? He had a setback, yeah, but Aiden was at pains to stress that it wasn't serious. Like, his career was, yeah. it wasn't a Blackbeard situation. His career was never in jeopardy. And he said on this show that it was actually a blessing in disguise because he'd had a pretty hard campaign up till then and they would have kept going with him. He was capable of, of continuing to race, but that the break would actually probably do him some good. Yeah, I think he'll be fresh, like you say. Well, he won't lack for fitness, and it must have been a difficult decision for Ryan, without a doubt. For me, if you're choosing between the two from a betting point of view, then you have to side with Little Big Bear at the prices because he's got the best form. We think he'll probably stay, and August Roden maybe is going to be better over 10 furlongs, mile and a half. Going forward, now, to be honest, neither of them are going to be my top choice in here, but if forced to choose between the two of them, I'd go a little big bear for this particular race over August Rodin. Oh, that's interesting because I am all over Aidan O'Brien for the 1,000 guineas. And I'm, I'm very interested in little big bear, but uh, reluctantly I'm going to leave him. And I am siding with another horse. And I, we haven't talked about it yet. I wonder, is it going to turn out to be the same horse? Um, Wayne Lorden, by the way, is no bad jockey booking whatsoever. This isn't a, a negative. It's an absolute good thing. Um, Wayne has ridden two new market classic winners for Aiden O'Brien, both in the 1,000 guineas, Hermosa and Winter. Uh, but the draw. Talk to me about how important the draw is. Because Little Big Bear is in 13, August Roden beside him in 12. And being drawn high has not been a positive in the 2000 guineas in recent years. No, it, it, it hasn't. It, last year, Caribus beat Native Trail. Caribus was in one, Native Trail was in 15. The year before, 
The first three home had all been drawn very low, four, two, and three. Kamiko had been drawn 15, but then the ones that immediately followed him home were all in single figures. You know, I think at Newmarket, stuff is more pace orientated, to be honest, than actually. We can occasionally see a bias on this near side rail, can't we, at, uh, at Newmarket? But I think if you try and look too deeply into it, it'll fry your brain because jockeys are alone to him to the, themselves when it comes to Newmarket. One race they'll race at the stand side, the next race they'll race the far side, the, the following race they might come straight up the middle. Yeah. And I think for me, you just take it out of the equation and just hope for the best because I've long since given up trying to figure out what the jockeys are going to do with the, the wide expanses of Newmarket. Yeah, I think they probably don't even know themselves until the day. It's a case of play it late. And, and even then, they're probably going to be looking at how certain races have panned out and adjust. Um, but that being said, for all that we can try and put it out of our heads, I do like Chaldean's draw in store three. And I like Chaldean an awful lot as well. And as long as Frankie Dettori doesn't do a flying dismount at the wrong time again, that was... We didn't get to talk about that in depth on the show. <laughs> that was horrible in the Greenham. That really was. Like, you're a, you're a professional jockey, one of the most respected in the business. He's been tearing it up around the world. He's just won the Italian 2000 guineas. He was in contention to be leading rider in America. Uh, he's been having a tremendous time of things. That was a That was a bad day out. But look, everybody makes mistakes. Uh, and Lord knows I'm far from perfect. But I like this horse an awful lot. That was a fast time he won the Dewhurst in. Oshin had talked about him in detail because while Oshin obviously wasn't riding on the track last year, he was riding out work for Oshin, uh, for Andrew Balding. And he raved about Chaldean and hoped that he would be on board him this season. Um, and I like his chances an awful lot for this race. And Laura King made an observation that that I agree with. It's a bit puzzling that with no rider on his back, he didn't finish in front of Isaac Shelby in the Greenham. But maybe he was just having a bit of fun for himself and enjoying himself out there. And maybe that's just something we shouldn't take too seriously. But if he is okay from that, then five to one about an impressive winner of the Dewhurst who's won it in a really strong time, who had been very, very good in the Champagne Stakes at Doncaster. Uh, and I thought really brave and classy in the Acom Stakes as well. He's just constantly improving, constantly getting there. And we interviewed Andrew Balding for the Horsepower documentary last year, and he was raving about him then too. I love this horse, and I think he's going to be... I think he's almost impossible to knock out of the frame each way with a mallet. The the five to one is the ultimate scumbag each way bet. And the more I look at this race, the harder I, I, I find it to get away from him. But is that the horse that you're with, Mark Milligan? I thought it was really interesting watching Matt Greenham at Newbury. Because if you go back, and and people can go back and watch this again, I thought Chaldine got tired. Mm. That was my takeaway. Look, he had no jockey on his back urging him. But he was more or less keeping pace, wasn't he, with the winner? Until the last sort of furlong or so, when he started to drop off. Now, I'm assuming, because he'd been right up there with the winner, albeit riderless, prior to that, that he wouldn't have just decided, well, I've had enough of this now. He was loving life out there, wasn't he, without a jockey on his back? And he just seemed to get a little bit tired in that last 
furlong now at the risk of going all graham rodway here but (laughs) 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 an insane thing to start judging horses you know gray horses jump better than bay horses an actual quote (laughs) by the way a direct quote Um, but I, I just thought it was interesting that he was kind of keeping pace with the winner until that last furlong or so, and he just dropped off, didn't he, as though he he was just having a blow. So I think we'll see him come on for that run. Um, to answer your question, no, he's not going to be my top pick in here. I'm going to go very, very left field for my top pick in here. And admittedly, I'm picking a horse who who may not stay and has a lot in common with Little Big Bear. Noble style. He could, yes. He could be a sprinter. We've not seen him for a long time. Charlie Appleby has some doubts as to whether he's going to see out a mile. I think that's why he didn't want to run him over seven furlongs on, on deep ground at Newbury for his reappearance. But you know, from going back to York last year, he was I was all over Noble style for the gym crack. I thought yeah. he was the best two-year-old we'd seen up to that point. And I thought I said he would prove it in the gym crack, and he he won that. He won it in a good time. Had a setback after that. We've not seen him since. Look, he's sprint primarily sprint bred on the damn side, but he's by Kingman, who himself was an elite miler. And we only have to go back a year, don't we, to see James Doyle riding a Charlie Appleby second string to victory in the two thousand guineas. And this was a price play for me at 20 to 1, given that his form is almost on a par with August Rodan and not that far behind Little Big Bear. I just, 20 to 1 was just far too big for me. And it's worth pointing out as well that in the number of flat reviews and interviews that we did with Oshin Murphy, he was raving about this fella from Ascot to Newmarket to York. And it's not ideal that similar to Little Big Bear, we haven't seen him since August. But there's no question about the ability. There's no question about how highly he was regarded as a two-year-old and uh, James Doyle being on board is a fantastic thing. I think in terms of Buick choosing Silver Knot, it's probably just a case of Silver Knot is the one that has more racing, more experience, and it's just the simpler one in the sense that he will stay. There's no question about stamina with him. There is that stamina about doubt about Noble yeah. Style. Similar there's to le- there's less... There's less question marks, isn't there, with Silver Knot? And William Buick has probably paid, played the percentages there, hasn't he? Yeah. Really. I'd be but amazed again, if he like, was good enough. Yeah. I'd be amazed if, like, if Silver Knot was good yeah. enough to win this. The Ryan Moore-Wayne Lawden situation can't have been an easy decision for William Buick. And like you say, James Doyle is no bad deputy, is he? No, it's the proven form of, and, and proving, proven stamina ability of Silver Knot versus the potential of Noble Style. That's what you're going up against. Um, but at 20 to 1, which is widely available, or at least it was until this podcast went live and the FFP army got stuck in, um, I think it's a very, very fair shout. For all that I'm really intrigued with August Roden, I just see him as a similar type to Australia and Luxembourg, that it's going to be a really admirable run from him to be second or third but there's going to be something that just has too much speed for him. And it might be a stable companion, Little Big Bear. It might be uh, the old rivals in blue, noble style. I think it's going to be Chaldean. I think it's going to be Frankie. And Frankie was being offered plenty of rides in the Kentucky Derby. There was a lot of people who wanted him to go over there. 
and he has committed to riding at Newmarket. This is the Frankie farewell. And on a day where the king is crowned, maybe it'll be Frankie's coronation in the 2000 Guineas as well. Uh, Chaldean for me, noble style for you. What's your, because we're going to be talking about exotic bets with Churchill Downs a little bit later on with Naomi Tucker. Um, what would be your trifecta here? Yeah, I'd probably throw um, Little Big Bear, August Rodin, Noble Style, in. Noble Style on top, August Rodin, and and Little Big Bear underneath. Um, you've potentially got one who'll be staying on at the end of a mile, and one who may be getting a little bit tired at the end of the mile. So they'd be the three for me. I like it. Um, it's it's three for me as well, but I'm going in a in a slightly different direction for you. For for all that I get it with Noble Style, and I absolutely respect your chances. I think I might have, this may very well become a very expensive bet, uh, which will pay nothing if August Roden comes along and absolutely murders this lot, but um, <laughs> Chaldean, Little Big Bear, and um, and August Roden for me. Uh, I think that's how I'm going to place it, and I, I think I'll have to stick in Noble Style, because it's it's a, a very, very bullish argument that you make, sir. The Kipco 1000 Guineas. Isn't it terrific in 2023 to be recording on a Thursday evening and not have the draw for the first Phillies Classic of the year? Genius. Absolute genius, that. Uh, the market's headed by Dermot Wells Philly, who was tremendous on Irish Champions Weekend uh, when beating Meditate, although Aidan O'Brien has said that Meditate had excuses and um, I think the 7-2 to two about the Royal Ascot and Breeders' Cup hero is a big all-price, uh, especially given Aiden's record in the race in recent years. Seven wins in the race. That's why we played that intro at the start. He's done the double four times. I'm pretty bullish about this horse. Um, I, I respect Dermot's horse an awful lot. I think there's been a few mixed messages coming out about her, and certainly on, on Nick Luck's show, he was very reluctant to commit as to where they were going to start off with, and I was... I'm a little bit surprised that she is going to Newmarket. I thought they were going to hold her for for the Irish 1,000 guineas and and go that way. Um, But irrespective of that, even if this is a case of just get her out there and look, her rating is hugely impressive. She's got an official rating of 118, which would put her clear of everything. But it's Aidan O'Brien's ability to get a horse ready for Newmarket versus Dermot Wells. And I'm going to side with Aidan O'Brien's and meditate. I think she's got a huge, huge chance. And... uh, she should be better as a three-year-old. Loved her as a two-year-old, but she should be even better this year. Daughter of Nona Never out of a Delacani mare, and I think that 7-2 is very, very fair. Um, what is your thinking on the race? Yeah, I I didn't have an awful lot between Tahira and Meditate. Again, if forced to choose between the two, I'd be with you. I'd go with Meditate. I don't think... We necessarily saw the best of her when Tahira beat her on deep ground. At the Curra, I think it's a more level playing field on what should be at least good ground, possibly even good to firm Newmarket over the weekend. But I was leaning towards the boys in blue again here. And there's a Charlie Appleby filly who I was very, very taken with last time. Dream of love. If anyone gets chance and can dig out the replay, go back and watch her second at Maidan last time. She was second to Morge in the Jumeirah Phillies Classic, but she ran an astonishing race that day. She came from out the back. She gave Morge, who we know is a very good filly. She's a 111-rated filly on time form figures. 
she gave her about a 12 length head start and all but ran her down. She was beaten a short head in the end. And I think you can make the argument that we, she was considerably better than Marge that day, considerably better. And if we just frame this through the prism of ratings, we've got Tahira on 116P, Meditate on 114, Lazoo on 112, Marge on 111. So Marge is, what, £5 off Tahira? If we form an assumption that Dream of Love was potentially four to five lengths as a minimum better than Marge last time, which I think is it's certainly not gilding the lily. I think there's every chance she was a four to five length better filly than her on the day. Then that puts her right at the top of the pile in here. Now, the caveat is that Dubai form doesn't always translate back to this country. We've seen it numerous times. But it's less of a concern with Charlie Appleby, who really knows what he's doing. Immediately after that race, I thought Dream of Love was a 1,000 guineas filly. And nothing that has happened in the interim has caused me to change my mind on that one. I think she's around about 8 to 1. I think that's a, a stonking bet at that sort of price. I'm liking this. I'm liking the confidence as well. It's tr- starting to shake my confidence and meditate. I wasn't expecting you to be uh, as bullish about the Godolphin Runner uh, dream of love, but it, it's there for all to see. On Maj, though, I think regular listeners will be a bit surprised to hear that's not the one you're going for because credit where it's due, you called it when she won um, a new market in July and then ran that massive race behind Lazoo in September. You were saying this is all about Maidan for her. She'll win the UAE 1000 guineas um, and, and she'll win her prep race for that. And she she's done both. Uh, she was wildly impressive in the in the uh, UAE 1000 guineas, beating Ferry Cross by eight and a half lengths as favourite. And she, of course, beat Dream of Love, who you're putting up as well. Um, Oshin Murphy takes the ride for Saeed Bin Saror. She's been well-backed in recent days as well. The racing is there. The ability is there. But you've deserted her. Yeah, absolutely. Because... Dream of Love was just so much better than her when they met, despite being beaten a short head. She was half an hour the best filly in that race, Dream of Love. And I I think it's interesting that the official handicapper still has a two pounds behind Marge. I'd place her well ahead of her, to be honest. And if you're framing it just through the prism of the result, then obviously Marge is a slightly better than better filly than Dream of Love. But go back, watch the video, watch what Dream of Love did there and try to convince yourself that she's not a massively better filly than Marge because I think she is. I'm liking that. I'm liking that an awful lot. Um, I do believe that Marge will run a big race, I have to say, but Dream of Love is going to have to come into the equation for me as well. Uh, who are the other major contenders or potential outsiders that could have a say? Never-ending story has... Taking a right old drift in the market out to 33 to 1 now, the daughter of Dubawi. Um, that was a, a nice performance on heavy ground at Leopardstown on her comeback, but her racing would leave her a long way behind some of these. Yeah, I think she's got a little bit to find, hasn't she? Never ending story. Uh, an interesting one for me was the, the Rave Beckett filly, Remarque. Mm. Am I saying that? 
correctly. I, I, I have no idea, but I, I, I liked the confidence with which you <laughs> delivered that swagger there, Milligan. <laughs> she won the Fred Darling. She only won it by a neck, but she did a little wrong there. She's still open to improvement. Whether she's quite good enough is obviously the doubt, but I thought she was quite interesting. Um, Lizou, I suppose the jury's out as to whether she was just a very good two-year-old and is she going to to train on at three? For me, one or two of these have got a, a bit more more scope than her. I'd be surprised if the finish didn't concern to hear a meditating dream of love, though. Yeah, uh, I agree. Is that you're going to be your trifecta? Yeah, I'd, I'd play those three in the trifecta with uh, with Dream of Love on top and the other two underneath. I'm going to do a reverse forecast on Meditate. It'll turn into a combination one now. Uh, meditate, Moj, Dream of Love. And I know people are going, you're leaving out the general welfare. Jesus, you're bullish. I'm not saying she's a bad horse at all. She's clearly exceptionally, exceptionally exciting. Just wonder about good to firm ground for her. Uh, she was really good on, on good to yielding in Galway. And of course, devastatingly impressive on soft ground at the champions meeting. But this is it's a different kettle of fish for her. It's more meditates ground. And um, and it will suit Maj as well. So they're the, they're the two. But Mark has absolutely sold me on Dream of Love. And uh, a difficult one to get away from. Hopefully, you're going to be getting the gravy backing your tips. But... You could get plenty of gravy or a nice little win for yourself without having to invest a single cent because we have teamed up with leading horse race clothing company Racing Tees for a nice competition. We've got a stylish hoodie and a very cool baseball cap up for grabs. It's courtesy of ourselves and racingtees.co.uk. They could be in the winners of the 2000 Guineas winner this weekend, or you could pick from the extensive colors that are available on the site. You can get your fully customizable horse racing merchandise T-shirts, hoodies, hats, really stylish gilets, and lots, lots more, all available. You can even request your own stuff. And I've got news from Mark Milligan. We're getting some Final Furlong Podcast branded goodies as well. Uh, Racingtees.co.uk for more information. There is a wide range of incredible stuff there. It's really, really cool. Hashtag wear the colors. How do you win? It's very simple. We could ask a question. We could ask something like, how many times has Aiden O'Brien won the 2,000 guineas, having said that earlier on, but we want it to go to listeners of the show. So all you have to do is tweet, Facebookers, or Instagrammers. You can even email, and my email details are available on the Final Forum Podcast Twitter page, a screen grab of you subscribed to the Final Forum Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, whichever podcast app it is that you're listening to is on. Just send us a screen grab of you subscribe to the Final Forum podcast and we will announce the winner on Monday's show. A brand new Racing Tees hoodie and baseball cap in the colors of the Guineas winner or the colors that you choose yourself, courtesy of ourselves and the superb racingtees.co.uk and that's Tees, T-E-E-S. It's a really cool site, very easy to navigate and some fantastic, fantastic swag there as well. Uh, So get your chosen colors of your hoodie and baseball cap courtesy of the final front podcast 
and racingtees.co.uk. Enter now on Twitter. You'll see the tweets at Radio Emmett, at Final Furlong Pod. You can enter on Facebook, uh, on Instagram, or you can email your entry into us as well. It's not going to cost you a thing. It's free to enter, and you could be looking fresh and slick uh, for your next Zoom meeting, your next trip to the races, courtesy of ourselves, and racingtees.co.uk. Just send us a picture of you. Subscribe to the Final Furlong Podcast. Really simple to do. And uh, we will announce the winners on Monday's show. Although, Mark, I'm getting root canal surgery on Monday, so it might be Tuesday's show, which extends your potential to be able to get involved uh, a little bit more. But we thought about recording Monday and then realized, oh, cool, so that's possibly not the best of ideas. Um, let's take a look at some of the supporting races, which I mean, you and I love this sport. I mean, I love racing. You love racing. The supporting card on Saturday is not the best. I'm almost of a mindset to be betting on the colour of the Queen Consort's hat as opposed to some of these races on Saturday. But we'll begin with one couple of the races that you've picked out. Because we're only going to talk about races that Mark is actually interested in having a bet in uh, and is pretty confident about. And that begins with the 250, the Howden Handicap. Uh, to one A for Charlie Hills and William Buick, 6-1 to one currently. Admiral D, first-time cheek pieces. Jamie Spencer rides for Richard Fahey who's been in the news for the wrong reasons. I'm sure he'd like to get back into the winner's enclosure. 8-1, to one, Silver Samurai, Marco Body, and Danny Musket, 10-1, Blackrod, uh, Oshie and Murphy on board, second run for Roger Teal, and 11-1 to one shot. Who do you like, Mark? Yeah, I like Tan Maui in here. He's a horse who I've always had a lot of time for. He was a, he was owned by Sheikh Hamdan as a two-year-old, and he won his debut at Haydock in deep ground that year 2020 then he was off the track for 575 days but they and he changed ownership in that time but he came back and he won three times last season he was a little bit in and out he's quite a fizzy sprinter he, he can occasionally teeter on the edge of boiling over and that probably explains why he's run a few clunkers in between the wins, but I thought he looked better than ever last time when he reappeared at Newbury, finished second. The pace was strong that day, and he sat closer to it than the winner, so I thought he was worth upgrading. There's a really big sprint handicap in this horse this season, potentially a Wokingham type, something like that, so I'd be very, very hopeful that he'll go close here off a mark of 95, which, which could underestimate him somewhat. Look, this is a competitive race, as all these sprint handicaps are. But he's a nice horse. He's still relatively low mileage for a sprinter. Keep an eye on him in the preliminaries. You don't want to see him taking a, a, a grip to post under William Buick or, or look like he's about to boil over. If he looks nice and calm down at the start, then he's a horse to side with, definitely, for me. I find it difficult to get away from our old friend Summergand. Um, there's there's an awful lot to like about his profile for this race. Like he's he's not getting any younger, but he's certainly not slowing down. Um, and he's had a couple of runs already this season, which hopefully will have had him right. He's at the very high end of the handicap now, and he's carrying it nine stone twelve. But he's won sixteen times over the distance, seven times on good to firm ground. He's a winner at Newmarket. Uh, likes an undulating track. A three time winner at this time of year. There's a lot there to say that he can run a big race and he might not win, but from 18 
Danny Todd up for David O'Mara at 12 to 1. I'm, I'm going to take a swing at him each way, but I have a lot of respect for your pick. And in fact, that was the horse that I was most afraid of. Um, but I'll roll the dice with Summer Gant. Am I reading that wrong? Is, is he too high in the handicap now and giving too much weight away? He's a... Look, he's a grand old campaigner, isn't he, Summergand? I, I think my my concern with him is that he, yeah, he could be a touch high in the handicap, and he's not getting any younger, is he? Mm. I just like I like Tan Maui's profile because he's a relatively young horse in sprinting terms. He's going for, but I know how much you like Summergand, and I'm certainly. Not going to attempt to put you off him. He's a grand old campaigner, isn't he? I just think it's a big ask for him to win a race as competitive as this under top weight. And is there just a concern that he maybe needs a run or two to come to himself these days as well? That that might be another concern for me. He took a took a few runs, didn't he, to to sort of get sherry ripe last season and it it doesn't really get any easier does it when these horses get older he's a nine-year-old now and it might just take him a run or two to come to himself that's actually one of the things i was looking at days since a run it's 29 so 26 to 35 times sorry 26 to 35 ever since milligan came on zoom earlier on and he said (laughs) You're gonna have to cover for me a bit because I'm I'm coughing and my voice doesn't sound great. I'm like, oh, Mark, that's horrible. So, yeah, my son came home and spluttering stuff all over the place, and I was like, ah, oh, don't worry about it, be grand. <laughs> I I was absolutely fine, no symptoms, all good. And then all of a sudden, I start getting a headache, I start losing energy. I had literally had to get Mark to repeat something he said to me. He was like, well, hang on, what? Say that again. Uh, we were talking about a media company. And I'm I'm starting to become convinced that you have somehow infected me through Zoom, which there's no logic <laughs> yeah. to that whatsoever. However, however, I, I, need, I need to apologise to the listeners if I'm kind of coughing and spluttering my, my way through this because I I've got what I consider genuinely the worst case of flu that anyone's ever had. Whereas my wife says it's just man flu, and I need to shut up and get on with it. Ladies and gentlemen. Men's ability to be able to handle pain compared to women is not very good, hence man flu. Uh, But he has run five times off a break of between 26 and 35 days, and he's been off the track for 29 days. He's placed three times and won once in that. And from a ratio of just five, that's pretty damn effective. And, you know, he should be... The cobwebs should be well and truly dusted off now. That was a good comeback run at at Linkfield on the all-weather at the start of the season... It took him over to Doha, and he ran very well behind Flaming Rib. I thought he had excuses behind Diligent Harry the last day, so he should be ready now. And I think he's got place prospects at the very least, and the ground will will help him. So I, I like him. I like him an awful lot. If, if, if I was sitting back, well, when I'm sitting back watching the racing TV coverage of this race on Saturday, if Summer Gand comes storming through with that late burst of speed to win and it's 12 to 1 I'd be kicking myself left right and centre so summer gand for me all day long uh, I'm quite keen on the Godolphin horse King of Conquest in the 325 but this is a race that you specifically wanted to talk about who floats your boat Mark Milligan yeah now we talked didn't we about the coronation and it's coronation weekend isn't it mm-hmm. 
and the new king will no doubt, fresh from his crowning, will be tuning in to the 325 at Newmarket. Getting the iPhone out on the racing TV app. He's going to watch his saga bolt home, isn't he, in this 325? Because we, we love a good angle, don't we, here on the final furlong podcast, Emmett? And we've got two angles, haven't we, here with Saga. We've got the fact that John Gosden will be desperate to give the King a winner at the big meeting on Coronation Day and the headgear angle Mm. with Saga. Headgear. And I'll say exactly what I mean by that because Saga's best effort by quite some way last season came in the Britannia at Royal Ascot. When he was wearing blinkers for the first time, he finished second of thirty that day. He argued should have won. won. Yeah, but was that was that the race that John Gosden got stuck into Frankie de Tore afterwards? Yeah, wasn't this straight after Stradivarius? Yeah, I think um, it was. Yeah, it was because Kiprios had had just won. Ah, oh, poor old Kiprios. Um, hopefully, he'll be back in the autumn. But Kiprios had just won. Gosden uh, got stuck into the media about Frankie after that. <laughs> then he gets stuck in again after Saga. Yeah. And then the next day when he wins the Coronation Stakes, uh, his line to Lydia Hislop was something along the lines of, oh, it wouldn't have been Lydia, sorry, it was um, Sky's coverage. His, his line to, to Rishi or to Alex on Sky was something along the lines of, yeah, well, when the jockey uh, stops doing his favorite pastime, which is indulging the crowd. Maybe we'll actually get to talk yeah. to him about what he's... <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> anyway, enough of the Frankie Dottori bashing. <laughs> Remember how that's just all smoothed over now? Remember they broke up? They literally took a sabbatical so, from one another and now we're all just, ah, yeah, Frankie's banging in the winners. Everyone just moves on. <laughs> so, so anyway, <laughs> to get back on topic, Blinker's first time, Saga ran an absolute belter, didn't he? The blinkers did not have the same effect on his next three starts. He wasn't great going back to Ascot next time. At York, it was even worse. He ran a little bit better at York on his final start. He's trying a mile and a quarter there for the first time, and it's possible he didn't quite get home. Or maybe he just needs to focus this horse. And this is where the headgear angle comes in because the master, John Gosden, is taking those blinkers off on Saturday and he's replacing them with cheap pieces. Cheap pieces, first time, first time headgear angle. It's coronation day. He'll want a winner for the king. I'm all over Saga. Let's go. And it's his first run after the cruelest cut of all. The meat and two veg are gone. So first, first run after a gelding up. First run in cheek pieces. First run for the king on the day he's crowned. Is this a coincidence? Is this why they pulled that horse out of the 2,000 guineas? Because they don't want to be distracted by a horse getting beaten there. They want it always be about the royal glory on ITV and racing TV. Uh, you're you're selling me here. I was I was full sure you were going to give us the GH in a H uh, group horse and handicap because that's what King of Conquest looks all over to me. Um, it could be. He might very well be, but that being said, he's on a similar mark to Saga. Saga has more experience, and there's a yeah, there's a lot there. Um, I'm swinging around, Milligan. If King of Conquest wins this race by five lengths, I'm going to send you some abuse because <laughs> you know, of you, course, you need, it's your you fault if I talk myself you, out of a bet. 
You need to blame the king, not me. He's the one who set this up. Bloody Charles. Uh, the <laughs> Outen Palace House Stakes Group 3 over five furlongs. Um, this is the, the final race we're talking about on Saturday. Who do you like, my friend? Manikan. He was a very progressive sprinter last season for John Ryan. He won three of his last four starts. He went over to, to Dundalk and, and beat a proper Dundalk specialist there in, in Logo Hunter. And he just improved throughout uh, as a three-year-old. And I think he's the type who's got even more to offer as a four-year-old this year. Twilight Calls, he's a horse I've got an awful lot of time for. He ran a really good race when second to uh, that Aussie monster nature strip in the King's Stand. A bit disconcerting, though, that we didn't see him after that. That was in June. And he'd been mm. running so well, we didn't see him since then. And he was only fifth in this last season as well. Although this year's renewal, probably not quite as strong as that one. But Manakan for me... He's the progressive horse. He's around about nine to two as we speak. Interesting that they've booked Frankie Dottori for the job as well. Stevie Donahue had been partnering Manikan at the back end of last season, but they've obviously gone for big-time Frankie here because they've got Manikan primed and ready to go for this first test at Group 3 level. Yeah, ground will suit. There's an awful lot in his favour. That performance at Dundalk was really, really good. Really, really good. And it was just significant that they were bringing him over in the first place. Um, what's your take on Twilight Calls? Course and distance winner obviously is, a, is a, a fast horse trained by a sprinting specialist in Henry Candy, and he gets around more. Yeah, say, it just worries me that we didn't see him again after June. That was such a good run, wasn't it, behind Nature Strip in the King's Stand? And I think at his absolute best he wins this, but he wasn't at his best in this race last season and he'll have bigger targets ahead. Whereas I think, I think Manikan will be primed and ready for this. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I just, he's raced twice on the back of a break of 60 days or more and won both times. Um, he's raced three times in good to firm, two wins and a place, two wins over the distance. He's won at Newmarket. Uh, he's won in this field size I found it difficult to get away from him and I wanted to because I wanted to go and swing for something at a bigger price but Twilight Calls was the one I, I landed on and I was I was reasonably bullish about him until you came along talking up Manikan in the way you have. Um, you've you've almost completely sold me on him but I, I think I'm going to stick with Twilight Calls for Henry Candy and Ryan Moore. Uh, but maybe it's going to be Frankie's day. Uh, Sunday. Right, so you've, you've picked out a few for us on the Sunday beginning with the Gordon Richards stakes brought to you by Bet365. A 115 over 10 furlongs. Who do you like? Yeah, I wasn't necessarily picking out this race for, for betting purposes, but I felt we should touch on it because we're seeing the return of Adea. Mm -hmm. This is, of course, a race that's been transferred from Sandown when we lost that Sandown meeting last week, didn't we, due to false ground. And Adea, I think this will suit Adea better, to be honest. I don't think he'd have wanted to run in that glue pot that was Sandown last time for, for all that he's got form on softish ground. For me, if he returns at his best, he's just a, a cut above this opposition. He'll be a relatively short price. He was second to Baybridge in the champion stakes when we last saw him. I think Baybridge will go on to be a very good horse this year. He's a bit too 
he was a bit too fresh when we saw him beaten over the weekend in France was Baybridge, but I don't think he did an awful lot wrong there. He ran well. For me, a day is yeah, yeah, he ran well. He just he was just a bit free, wasn't he? Early doors to to get home, I think, in group one company. He was only beaten half a length by Baybridge. A day as I say, I think he's just a little bit better class than these for all that he probably isn't a betting proposition but I felt it was a race we should touch on because we're seeing potentially one of the best older horses making his reappearance yeah and it's terrific that he's still in training and that they're going to go again with him as a five-year-old I'm very excited about what they could do with that AR this season um speaking of Baybridge and Sir Michael Stout the yard is in tremendous form um and a number of their winners recently been five winners in the last two weeks were all mentioned by James Savage, Sir Michael Stout's assistant trainer, on our Stable Tour podcast, which if you scroll down the podcast feed, you will see, and there is some gold, absolute gold in there, horses that you can follow blindly, um, some in-depth insight into the Sir Michael Stout yard from assistant trainer James Savage. Listen to that now on all good podcast apps and some rubbish ones as well. And while you're at it, get your entry in to win yourself a Nice swag, your stylish hoodie and very po- cool baseball cap, courtesy of ourselves and racingtees.co.uk. We're kind of coming at this from the angle of it can be the colours of the 2000 Guineas winner on Saturday, or you can choose your own colours. It's entirely up to you. But Racing Tees are the leading racehorse and clothing company, and we're delighted to be partnering with them. Uh, you can pick whatever colours you want. How you enter is just show us that you're subscribed to the Final Forum podcast on your various podcast app. It could be Castbox FM, it could be TuneIn, Podcast Addict, Pocket Casts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, who are our sponsor. Whichever one you choose, it's entirely up to you. Um, send us a screen grab of that on the tweet machine. You can respond on Twitter at Final Furlong Pod, at Radio Emmet. It's on our Facebook page, on Instagram as well, or you can email us. And uh, Sophie's going to pick the winner on Monday, and we will announce it on Tuesday's show. So a brand new baseball cap, brand new stylish hoodie in your favorite racing colors, on its way to you, and it doesn't cost you a thing. All you got to do is send us a screen grab of you subscribed to the Final Furlong Podcast on whichever podcast app, app it is that you're using, uh, and check out Racing Tees, where you can get fully customizable horse racing merchandise, including T-shirts, hats, G-lays, hoodies, and so much more. Wear the colors of your favorite horses at racingtees.co.uk, hashtag wear the colors. And very, very pleased to be teaming up with Racing Tees for this summer season. Uh, the Pretty Polly listed race, always an informative race, but how is it going to go this time around, Mark Milligan? Yeah, we're struggling to sort of figure out the, the full makeup of the field at this stage, but I thought this was a race that we should definitely touch on because of the potential in here. There are, I've just been going through and counting them. There are no less than 12 fillies in this field who've got the time form P mm. on their ratings. A couple of them have got the large P, which Ooh. denotes... Tell, tell us who has the large P. Significant improvement. Uh, you won't be surprised to learn there's a, a Charlie Appleby filly, Queen of Fairies, who has a large P. You might be more surprised to learn there's a Richard Hannon filly that has a large P. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Richard. Milligan can't go one episode with a fashion. <laughs> <laughs> she actually has got a large P as well. I wasn't just teeing that up for one of my really bad jokes. 
Oh my god. This is going to make that interview on TalkSport with um with Richard Hannan go real smoothly. Thanks very much, Millie. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, that's uh, Maman June, uh, the Richard Hannan for the who was second on her debut. She's got a, a large P. Uh, Kevin Stotts jocked up to ride her, so presumably she's going to be a runner. William Buick is also jocked up on um, the Charlie Appleby for the Queen of Fairies, who looked very impressive when she made a debut in a, a subtle novice contest. She's by Cracksman out of uh, Dubawi Mare, so the, the pedigree is there for her. But the one who tops the ratings with just a small P is a filly who's looked most progressive on her last few starts, and that's Running Lion, who's the daughter of Roaring Lion, mm. trained by John Gosden. She's likely to be ridden by uh, Oshin Murphy. She's done all her winning on the all-weather today. She's won her last three races at Lingfield, Chelmsford and Kempton. I don't think she's any less of a, a filly on the turf. She made a debut on turf. She was fourth, but she was green that day. So she's going to be just as well suited by turf as she is by the all-weather. The time of that Kempton win last time was a good one. Um, she's a, a filly who is well-related She's got stamina on the damn side of the pedigree, so I think she'll definitely stay the Oaks trip. This is 10 furlongs. She'll get a mile and a half. I don't have an issue with that. And I thought she was the most interesting in here for all that she's shown a bit more of a hand than one or two others, shall we say. Yeah, she. it's funny because the two horses that you focused on are the two horses that I was particularly interested in. And running line is an obvious one in the sense that we have seen more of her. Um, that's almost the thing that's against her to a certain extent because who knows how good some of these unexposed horses could be. Um, but I've liked her an awful lot and I, I think she's a very, very interesting horse. But I was really taken with Mama June. And I wasn't there at Newbury, but a friend of mine who was, who I would trust implicitly, said she was the pick of the paddock by far. And she ended up being pretty well beaten by Gather Ye Rosebuds, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And she has an entry for the Oaks. So I, th I think she's an interesting one. I'd love, love to know what price she's going to be. There's no betting market in front of us right now. Um, if, if she's a significantly big price, then I think Kevin Stott could have a lot of fun with her. Um, but Oshin Murphy's going to have a huge chance <coughs> with running line. Uh, brings us to, I think, our, our last race uh, before we start switching to stateside action for the Kentucky Oaks and the Kentucky Derby. Uh, Dahlia Stakes, Group 2, Life in Motion, Andre Fab. French Raider coming over. Miguel Barcelona is going to be on board. Miguel Barcelona is going to be in Churchill Downs as well. So he's making the, the massive flight over to be here for Newmarket. Um, how do you see this going? Yeah, I liked her life in motion. I always think you should sit up and take notice when Andre Fab sends runners over. He doesn't send runners over to, to the UK that often i think his strike rate is around about 20 percent. when he does she's won her last three starts all enlisted company she's still got the potential for better for me and i know michael barcelona has his detractors but i think he's a a very good jockey and he's the fact that he's prepared to, to come make that dash over from churchill downs to ride her although I assume he's contractually obliged to with her being a good old thing, Philly. But having said that, presumably they could have put up James Doyle if they'd wanted, couldn't mm -hmm. they? 
mm-hmm. rather than Mikel Barcelona coming over here to Ryder. I think that's that's a big hint that they think an awful lot of this filly that Mikel Barcelona is going to ride in the Kentucky Oaks on Friday night and he's coming back to Newmarket on Sunday to ride life in motion. Yeah, I like that pick an awful lot. And um, I mean, Andre Fav is just an absolute genius. That goes without saying, but it's surely significant that Mikel Barcelona is making the journey to Churchill Downs on Friday and then flying back for Newmarket on the Sunday. We have seen Ryan Moore do it, um, notably riding in the Kentucky Derby and then flying straight back to ride in the 1,000 guineas, but it's that kind of stuff takes a toll, and that's for a classic. This is for a group two. That's got to be significant. It has to be. Um, and I think Life Emotion's got a huge, huge chance. Before we bring in Naomi, who is your best bet the horse that you are most confident about for Final Furlong Podcast listeners this weekend, Mark Milligan? It's an each-way bet, which might not necessarily exude confidence, but it's a competitive race. But for all the reasons we spoke about, the fact it's the coronation, there's the headgear angle, the gelding angle, it'll be Saga in the 325 at Newmarket on Saturday. Um, back him each-way, I'm struggling to see him out of the places, to be honest, and hopefully he can win. Ooh, let's go! Um, I am going to go for Frankie to win his last 2,000 guineas at Newmarket on Chaldean. I think that horse can get it done. Uh, and I'm a big, big fan of Meditate. So I'm doing the, the scumbag each way double in the 2,000 guineas mark. It's Chaldean and Meditate. Let's find out who we're going to be adding to this list with our preview of the Kentucky Oaks and the Kentucky Derby. That's next. are talking absolute rubbish. Absolute rubbish. You are, you're a farce, and so is he. He knows nothing about race. You are an underachiever in life. You were unsafe to your bacon one time. You were gone. You are one of these takeout merchants. Takeout on the can. You're calling out bookmakers' prices on this channel, right? You couldn't have two bananas to a banana with a bookmaker. Well, stop you talking rubbish. How much do I not give a right, the show's over, boys. Thank you very Let much. Let me show you right now for you give it up. Time to turn our attention stateside for the classics over there with the Kentucky Oaks and the Kentucky Derby to give it its proper pronunciation delighted to say that the Final Furlong Podcast international racing correspondent returns Naomi Tucker welcome back to the show well thanks for having me make it sound so fancy international racing correspondent look I am happy to be in Louisville and I'm happy to go wherever the the good races are here in the US so it's been it's been fun I need to correct your introduction as well, because we have it for the podcast graphic. You now have a double-barreled surname. I do, I do. Well, officially, I still need to properly change it, but my visa is tied to my passport, so we can't really be, uh, be changing that at the moment. Um, uh, but don't, yes, don't mention Tucker the visa, Aldrete. Naomi. <laughs> <laughs> like, so, Tucker Aldrete, um, yeah, been married for, uh, yeah, well over a year now, so it's been really good. How's married life treating you? I like it. I, I mean, I guess it helps when you like your spouse, right? I very much <laughs> like my husband. So. <laughs> Look, it's, it's definitely different because we moved uh, to upstate New York for his work. Um, he's in the uh, United States military, in the army. He's an army officer. Uh, so that's obviously slightly different from when we were in Virginia and D.C. when I was working uh, in Maryland. So it's a little bit changes changed scenery, but thankfully, like I said, I still get to go uh, to all these cool race places. And uh, yeah, it's been good. I was in the Netherlands for a little bit 
uh, waiting for the aforementioned visa. Uh, but we're back. So I'm really, really glad to be back stateside. And you can join Naomi for her excellent podcast on relationships, uh, where the key to the foundation of all relationships is it helps when you like your husband. It helps when you like your wife. It's the foundation stone of any relationship. This is my great insight into marriage. Helps when you like your partner. Yeah, oh. it does. And stay tuned for more brilliant revelations. <laughs> Breaking news. Mark, can you confirm that you do indeed like your wife and that that helps for a happy marriage? Well, I can definitely confirm the latter. It does help. Um, <laughs> having been married now for... 24 years. Oh, wow. I can confirm that you probably do need to get on and probably do need to like each other if you're going to last that long. <laughs> Look, uh, we need to be asking you for marriage advice. I'm a- <laughs> yes, and Milligan's Corner, Mar- Milligan's Marriage Corner will be a new segment on the Final Forum podcast that I'm sure everybody is clamoring to get their hands on. Uh, also, Naomi, we did kind of warn you beforehand but Mark is under the weather, and we were kind of laughing and joking about this beforehand. Uh, I've shown no symptoms of, of anything being wrong with me, and ever since he told me, I've been coughing like a maniac. So clearly, this virus is able to transmit via Zoom. Don't worry, listeners. You're unaffected. You're perfectly fine and out there in podcast land. It's just confined to the pod in near-orbit orbit, as James Richardson would say. So if you develop a mysterious illness just before this, uh, an unknown virus of unspecified origin, then you can blame Mark Milligan. Uh, Let's begin with the Longines Kentucky Oaks, the grade one. Uh, We've got wet paint for Brad Cox as the favorite on our side of the pond. Uh, Botanical, second favorite, seven to one. Um, Fabian Pratt on board, uh, the favorite drawn in stall seven in the Kentucky Oaks, a three to one shot with most sports books in the UK and Ireland. Is that similar enough to the morning line price in North America? And how do you see the first Phillies classic of the season in America going? Yeah, very similar. She's a five to two morning line. Now, obviously, when you're talking about morning line for people that don't know, it's an indication of how the handicapper at that track thinks the market will move. So it's an indication of what they think the horse is going to jump off at. Because obviously we have a different wagering sort of different way of wagering here in the US where it's a pool and everyone's betting against each other. So it's an indication of what they think might happen. They have her at five to two uh, morning line favorite. I have her in second. I definitely feel like she's very, very talented. And the race sets up in her favor because she's a runner who likes to run into a decent enough pace. She has tremendous late pace figures. You look at that grade three fantasy, the honeybee. She just rolls in the end. She's so comfortable doing that. And in this race, there are a few fillies who want to get on with it, who want to move forward. That helps for wet paint. She wants something to run into. Now, Brad Cox himself, he's won the Kentucky Oaks before last time was She Dares the Devil in 2020. And of course, the great Monomoy girl in 2019 as well. So no stranger at all to Oaks success. He has a fair few in there as well. He's also loaded in the Kentucky Derby. So we'll, we'll talk about that later on. But look, wet paint, it sets up for her. The draw is fine. She's sort of somewhere in the middle because um, for the Kentucky Oaks, we only have 14 runners, not 20 like in the Kentucky Derby. So only 14 runners in the Oaks. We've got AEs, obviously, that might uh, draw in if someone drops out. So she's drawn in the middle, and I think that's fine. I think Flavian's just going to do uh, what he usually does, try to get a good position with her and then uh, try and pick them all up late. This is the furthest she's ever, this will be the furthest she's ever gone in her career, which is the case for a fair few 
of the fillies in here. She won over a mile and 16. Now they're going a mile and an eighth. Look, that's a 16 difference. That's, that's fine. That's not going to make a difference. So she's, she's my second pick in here because I was trying to get some value for you guys, right? Like you have to try and come up with something clever here, right? So I tried. Um, I went with the number 11, Defining Purpose for trainer Kenny McPeak. Uh, she's going to be ridden by uh, Brian Hernandez Jr., who also was on board uh, when she won the grade one Ash and lost them at Keeneland. Look, I'm biased. I was there. She just looked so good. She was a long shot that, that day. She ended up paying like $20 or something. And she just really showed her talent. And Kenny was saying that he always rated her highly. But obviously, this was such a highlight. Now, look, she has to continue that improvement, but she's been training so well. She's a 12 to one morning line. I love that kind of value. Look, she's had a few races where she wasn't as good, most notably two back, three back, honeybee, or of course she found wet paint too tough, but that was also on an off track, like track with moisture in it. And then when she was back on a fast track, she, she continued that upward curve in terms of her speed figures. So I think defining purpose is an interesting prospect here. I like the way that she can kind of lay close to the pace here, she doesn't need to be on the lead. She can just kind of sit in that sort of second second line or somewhere in the middle if they want to take it a bit more easier with her. And I like that. I like that in the Kentucky Derby. I like that for the Oaks. It just means you're probably going to encounter less trouble if you're more forwardly uh, placed. But yes, look, she's 12 to 1. She has to continue that upward curve. But uh, I thought she's worth ta- taking a shot on. Well, 14 to 1. We're absolutely loving that. Uh, and as you mentioned, Brad Cox has got a, a terrific record in this race in recent mm. years, a trainer of the first and second favourites, uh, two winners in the last five renewals of the race. But you're going to side with Kenny McPeak uh, and Defining Purpose. If you're doing an exotic play on this race, which of course is huge in America, how would you approach the, the box exactas in the words of the great Barry Faulkner? Yeah, so I, you know, I, I looked at this race, you know, when it's one of those races that I think if I looked at it again, I might change my mind because there's a few fillies in here that are very, very interesting. I ended up also including one of the other runners for Brad Cox, Botanical, who's a shorter price, four to one morning line. The reason is the way she's ran on the all weather, so not on the dirt, on the all weather is in terms of her speed figures above any of the other fillies in this race, making her incredibly dangerous. The problem is, will she transfer it to the dirt? Now, she's been working the lights out on the dirt, so she you think she'd be fine. She's by McDagliador. He can sire turf and dirt runners. So you think she could be fine. I use her underneath because I still have that little hesitation. What if she doesn't do the same thing on the dirt? It is a slightly different surface. It gives back less energy in terms of when they land with their feet. So for example, when you're looking at all weather as well as in turf, they just have a little bit more bounce there. There's just a little bit more sliding of the feet and some horses like that better. Dirt is a bit more what we would call jarring. Just a, you know, you hit the ground a little harder. You feel it. Um, I used to run myself. I always thought it was a really good idea to run on those different surfaces. Running on dirt is harder than running on, for example, all weather or, or turf, I found. I think turf, I thought, was the easiest. So we've established what kind of filly I am here. Um, but, <laughs> I'm glad you said um, that and not me in this day and age. <laughs> no, look, I, I, you have to include her just because she's clearly that talented and she could stand above them. I just have that but if. And she's four to one, so a four to one morning line. So I was just a little bit like, you have to include her. Would I just straight up better for that? No. Can she run away with this and be much the best possibly 
but she just, I just haven't seen it yet. And that's the tricky part with her. Um, then there's another filly who I just find interesting. I threw her in as just a little bit of a shot based on what the pace setup might be. That is the number 10 flying connection. Um, if you look at the pace setup, she's projected to be a lone leader. And if you look at her last two wins, she loves being by herself on the lead. Like she loves just rolling in front and she's done it quick enough. If you look at the time from US pace figures, they're coded red uh, in the middle sectors of her last race at Sunland Park in the Sunland Park Oaks. It means she was going for it. And then she still won by two and a quarter legs. Now the problem is this is a huge class test. Huge. You're going from Sunland Park to the Kentucky Oaks. Does she stack up in terms of her figures? Still has to improve a little bit, but she's there. If you look at the time from US figures, she's there. So I just find her super interesting for trainer Todd Fincher. Flo is taking the ride here. You know, we know how talented he is. I, I just, I'm just kind of fascinated. Like, what if she runs away with it? Now, it's very possible she's going to get reeled in by the likes of wet paint with that devastating close of hers. But still, I just, yeah, she attracted my attention. Well, she's attracting my attention at 20 to 1 here. Uh, she was a $250,000 purchase, so she must be a good thing, if we use my logic from years ago, which obviously does not work <laughs> out at all. Uh, just go talk to syndicate owners who spend fortunes on resources, and it doesn't quite work out. Um, no guarantees of success. And I think the top 10 most expensive horses of all time all turned out to be complete and utter duds. There's a podcast in that, and we will do that, hopefully with Naomi uh, and, and Mark, in the near future. Um, what if I told you, Naomi, that we could get you seven to one about botanical. Oh wow, that's decent. That's not bad. I, I take I take a little shot on her then if you get that. Mm, that's the current she, price that's available on this she, side of the pond. Her figures, her figures are much there to beat this entire field. That's the thing. But she has to put it on on the dirt, and I guess that's the. So if these figures, if she ran this on the dirt, she would have been the favorite. But because it's on the old weather, everyone is a little bit like, well, will she replicate it? Look, Brad Cox is a trainer. He knows what he's doing. Like I said, Medaglidoro, she's bred to be fine on the dirt. She's been working at Churchill Downs. You can see she's been working fine. Uh, last work that I've got on the page here, 27th of April, five furlongs, a minute and three. That's very decent. Four out of 24 in terms of the rankings that day of how fast horses work. Look, she's working well. So she's clearly okay getting over it. Um, but it's just, I guess, for me, four to one, mm, seven to one, much more interesting. Yeah, and she's been pushed out from fives as well. Um, the question is, though, seeing as Mark Milligan spends a shocking amount of time watching and writing about American racing, are you in agreement with Naomi, or are you looking at something completely different, Mark? No, I'm broadly in agreement. I liked Botanical in here. I think her figures stack up really well. It's obviously a concern she's been winning at Turf Way, which Naomi has gone over in forensic detail there. It, she's unraced on dirt, but everything about her pedigree and her workouts suggests she'll go on it. She's by Medagliadoro. She's out of a, a blame mare called Daisy, who was a, a dirt winner at Gulfstream Park as a, a two-year-old or three-year-old. Um, she's working well on the Churchill Downs surface if the uh, the workout times are to be believed and she's got tactical speed she doesn't need to be on the lead but she can be if no one else wants it so 
I think there's loads to like about botanical. I was in the same camp as Naomi in that I was a bit near at four to one. But the fact we can get seven to one in the UK for a filly who on figures is the fastest in the field and on pedigree should handle the surface, I think seven to one's a little bit too big about botanical. All right, final selections and exactors for the Kentucky Oaks, beginning with Naomi Tucker. Uh, so mine is 11, 7, 6, 10. But if you get that price on the 6 botanical, you should you should take a little swing. Let's go. And Mark? Yeah, botanical would be my top selection. I'd go for Brad Cox to have the 1-2 in here, actually. And if you're playing an exactor, I'd play a over, over wet paint. I think they're probably the two most talented fillies in the field. And it'll be quite a nice payoff if botanical beats wet paint in the exactor. Love it. Uh, both of them cost a, a right few quid uh, as well. Um, mile one, Longines, Kentucky Oaks. It's live on Sky, 10.51 Friday night. The big one, though, the run for the roses, the Kentucky Derby, to give it its proper pronunciation, according to Naomi. Drilled into us before we started well recording. Done. Presented by well Woodford done. Reserve, grade one. Sees Forte, the Breeders' Cup juvenile winner uh, and hero, which we talked about in depth uh, on the show. And if you followed us in, fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. If you didn't, well, we had a good, interesting conversation when we broke down the Breeders' Cup as well with Naomi um, uh, after it. Barry Faulkner, I think, still possibly licking his wounds. But hey, we can't all be right. Um, three, Barry, we love you. Uh, three to one is the current price on this side of the pond uh, about Eras Ortiz Jr.'s mount for Todd Pletcher. Tap it trice. Uh, also for Todd Pletcher with Louis Saz uh, in the plate, 11-2. to two. Angel of Empire is a 9-1 to one shot and Practical Move is the same price. Uh, we've got the UAE Derby winner coming over, the Japanese runner, Demaro Satake, uh, and a number of other Japanese raiders as well. This is a, a properly international renewal of the Kentucky Derby. I was seeing some of Pete Fornatel's content as well, uh, talking to some Japanese journalists about the race. It's an exciting renewal, Naomi. Set the scene for us in the Kentucky Derby. Where do you want to be drawn and who is getting the real hype in the build-up in the few days as we build up to the big race? So, because it's such a huge field, right? You have 20 horses lining up. You tend to not want to be too much on the rail. Like the one-two is probably not where you want to be because what happens is horses come over on you, right? If you have no speed... Or you have to work to hold your position. But you also don't want to be drawn in, like we say, the car park. You don't want to have to come over from gate 20. That's going to cost you energy, right? Unless, now there are jockeys that are very good at this. You do that thing where you just go in in one of those um, triangle kind of lines. So you're not immediately coming over. You're gradually coming over. Thing is, you have to be allowed the opportunity to do that, right? This is horse racing. Nobody's going to give you a good position. So ideally, you're sort of drawn in the middle. And then it's up to the jockey, up to the horse, where they run a race, where they want to sit throughout the race to make it happen. What we've seen in general, though, is that horses that win the Kentucky Derby tend to sit close enough to the pace. Very rarely you see deep close. Now, last year, rich strike. Um, But (laughs) in general... It does not happen that frequently. In general, you want to well, at least be mid-pack. You want to be handy enough. So when you turn from home, you don't have a ridiculous amount of work to do. But this, as usual, the Kentucky Derby is wide open. I know we got Forte as a favorite. He is very, very talented. I love the horse. I've seen him in Florida. Gorgeous individual. Just, you know, look, typical Todd Pletcher trainee, right? They look the part. They always look the part. Is he beatable? 
Yes, it's the Kentucky Derby. If I've learned anything in the Kentucky Derby, it's that nearly every favorite is beatable. And as he is the British Cup juvenile champion, do you believe I read a stat that it was like two out of 36 or something have ever won the Kentucky Derby after winning the British Cup juvenile? That's not good. It was a bad stat. It's not a trend that seems to happen often. Now, I did speak with his owner, Mike Rapoli, and he was saying that there was also not a great stat going to the Florida Derby from the gate that he was jumping from that day. He was jumping from one of the outside gates. And he said, well, we turned that around. So he's not, you know, they're, they're kind of like, look, we're not looking at stats. And you remember with Justify, no horse that had raced, uh, not raced as a two-year-old, ever went on to, to win what well, the Kentucky Derby and the Triple Crown. Well, he did. So the stats don't always paint the picture, right? And 40 is incredibly talented. A little bit further drawn towards the outside 15. I think that's still fine for him. He's not going to take the lead. You just want to make sure that he stays in the clear. Because as, as we saw in the Florida Derby, he needs to have that space to kick into gear. Because once he does, he rolls home. He's so strong. He has such a strong turn of foot. Problem is, when you have 20 horses versus the 12 he ran against in the Florida Derby, that's going to crowd your field a little bit. So that worries me. So I've used him underneath because I'm trying to find value. I think the Kentucky Derby, that is the race you want to take a swing, right? You're not, you could go with the favorite, but it's much more fun to try and get a long shot horse home here. I mean, last year, which strike. Anyhow, um, I landed on verifying for trainer Brad Cox, uh, who has four in here. $775,000 purchase must be a solid moral. <laughs> also just a be- beautiful horse. Um, did have like a bit of a hiccup this morning though. Um, he was fine. He dropped his rider at the track in front of everyone. Thankfully the rider was okay. And I spoke with Brad about it and I was asking him, you know, what was going through his mind. And he said, well, by the time I figured out it was verifying, they'd already caught him, not a scratch on him. He literally just went for a little jog around the track and, and the outriders got him like basically very, very quickly. So thankfully all is well, but he's, he's high on verifying. I, I fell in love with him because that bluegrass race against Tappet Trice, where he lost by a neck, verifying was battling up front nearly the entire way, whereas Tappet Trice was cruising a couple lengths behind. Now, what we do know is that when you're running a little bit more of an even race, you have, you, you, you know, you're spreading out your energy a bit more. That's easier. So I thought verifying as she ran a better race and showed much improvement. As you saw by his figure, I had a 99 buyer, best he has ever had in his career. The kind of figure that puts you slap back into contention here in the Kentucky Derby. And he's 15 to one morning line. And obviously he's number two. So I just hope he doesn't really get boxed in. That is my worry. Like I said, he's drawn on the inside, has the speed to navigate himself a spot, but it's not easy. Um, I Look, it's it's taking a shot. I think the 15 to one makes him a contender. And Brad Cox did say he thought he was a very, very good horse. I think he kind of like grinned at me a little bit when I went, yeah, yeah, he's my top pick. And he was like, yeah. So I'm hoping <laughs> this is a good sign. I'm also hoping that Brad Cox is going to win a Kentucky Derby first past the post um, yeah. instead of what we saw obviously with Mandaloon because it's, it's so special to win here in Kentucky and you want to celebrate on the day. You want that to be just a little, you know, that, that kind of your horses pass the post first time that that's, you know, you want that for people. So I, I hope that that's going to happen for him. Yeah. It was Medina spirit was first past the post in two years ago. Yeah. 
Um, so, yeah. mm-hmm. and, and of course, Mr. Baffert. What is Mr. Baffert's current status within Churchill? So he's, he doesn't have any runners. He's not allowed to have any starters. So we did see that a Tim Yak team uh, took over some of his runners already a little bit early in the career, including, for example, Reincarnate was uh, with Bob Baffert uh, before Practical. No, Practical Move was when he trained himself. But you did see that some of the horses that were on that Kentucky Derby trail have been moved to Tim Yakteen and are now starting in his name because Bob Baffert is not allowed uh, to have any runners in the Kentucky Derby as of yet. Mr. Bob, I've got a superstar, Baffert, which is a reference to Officer back in 2001, who ended up being crushed by Aiden O'Brien's Johannesburg, owned by Coolmore, and Coolmore have got a huge chance with verifying, according to Naomi. I liked the horse beforehand. I thought that run behind Tappet Thrice, who is being really talked up, Mark Milligan, uh, I thought that would give him a pretty decent chance. Wasn't in love with the draw, but I'm very much on board now that Naomi has talked the horse up so much. That being said, I was really taken with Forte. It does play in my mind, though, that only two horses have won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile and the Kentucky Derby, and only one in the last 10 years, Nyquist. Where do you stand on the run for the Roses? Yeah, well, as you know, Emmett, I've been on, uh, I've been keen on Tappet Trice for a long time now, and I, I actually put him up on my Twitter a couple of months ago, 16 to 1, mm-hmm. which I think is an absolutely fine price to be going into this race with would I back him now at the five to one he currently is I probably wouldn't because with his run style he's going to need plenty to go right he's he's basically just got into this habit of being sluggish out of the stalls and giving himself quite a lot to do in the early part of his races it's it's a habit that he showed initially on his first couple of starts. I thought he got out of it at Gulfstream when he, he won his allowance race, where he sat just a, a length and a half off the pace, but then he went to the Tampa Bay Derby and broke sluggishly again. And in the bluegrass again, he was just he was away a little bit better, but still was was eight lengths behind initially. But <coughs> excuse me. What this horse does have is an awful lot of late pace. He's a really strong stayer. He'll absolutely stay this 10 furlongs standing on his head. And if he doesn't win on Saturday night, I'd go as far as to say he's a very, very short price to be winning the Belmont. I think a mile and a half will absolutely hit him right between the eyes. I just didn't really want to be taking five to one about him now with the the possibility that plenty could go wrong. So tentatively, I landed on one of the Japanese, Dermo Sotagaki, who has got tactical speed. And I think that could play out quite well here because on paper, I think this is one of the more paceless derbies that we've seen, or derbies, I don't want to get in trouble with Naomi. (laughs) (laughs) Or the thought police, Mark. How dare you? (laughs) One of the more paceless derbies that that we've seen. Now, it may not play out that way on the track, because there could well be that big rush to try and get an early position. Look, he's drawing 17. You think that there's no pace and then everyone wants to take it up because nobody thinks anyone want to go? I... If, yeah, I think I'm not saying that there's no pace, but the majority of the horses in the field this year have not been winning their their races from the front, have they? They've kind of been deep closers, or they've been sat 
in the second wave. And the Timeform US pace projector, um, which is something I had a hand in building in the early stages of its development, only has um, Derma Sosagaki and Confidence Game in the first two positions initially, although they still expect the pace to be on the strong side. And the way I wanted to approach this race, with because I was already on Tappet Trice anti-post, he's a deep closer. I potentially wanted something that's going to be a little bit closer to the pace, so it's going to give me a bit of a one-two punch, if that makes sense. So I landed on Dermo Sotogaki, who doesn't, he doesn't need to improve massively on that UAE derby win to play a hand here. This isn't, I don't think this is the strongest renewal of the Kentucky Derby that we've seen. I'm not absolutely convinced that Forte is head and shoulders above his opposition. Mm. On time form ratings, you normally need to be in the 123 to 126 region to win an average renewal of the Kentucky Derby. None of these have even come close to that midpoint. Forte is just about the best on 121. He could still improve a little bit more on that. They're not a strong bunch. And I thought if the Japanese are going to have one year where they've got a real chance of taking home the Kentucky Derby, it could well be this year. I suppose most people would look at what he did in the UE Derby and say, yeah, but that was Dubai and you know, it was a disaster for Thundersnow. I mean, he had to be pulled up after less than two furlongs. He basically fell out of the stalls and it was game over. But Mendelssohn had destroyed them in the UE Derby and looked was a Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf winner, looked to be a, a real superstar going to Churchill, and it just didn't happen. He ended up finishing last behind Justify. Um, do you think that that form can translate from the Middle East and Japan to North America, Mark? Now, before this year's Dubai World Cup meeting, I'd been quite sceptical about the Japanese dirt horses. But the last year or two, they've started buying a better quality of horse. Their overall quality of dirt races has improved. And of course, they won the World Cup itself, didn't they, Mm. on World Cup night. Now, the Japanese are starting to dominate world turf racing. And they're potentially now starting to catch up with America in the dirt stakes as well. And look, I'm not saying Dermos Satsukaki's any kind of mortal lock or anything like that. I just thought in a weak year with a horse who's got a very adaptable run style coming off an impressive win and a jockey in Christophe Lemaire who is without doubt one of the very, very best in the world, he was worth taking a shot at at double-figure odds. Can we get the AI to edit this when Derma Sotokake wins so that it actually sounds like Mark didn't say, I'm not saying he's a mortal lock too. This thing's a mortal lock, a solid moral, can't be beat. <laughs> because it's all about the clicks and the engagement. I, I think that's a, a very, very valid point. And I like the pace angle as well, that you're going with one who'll be coming from off the pace and one who'll be on the front end. Naomi, from your perspective, being over stateside, what has the atmosphere been like and the vibes been like about the Japanese Raiders? So I, I do I do have to agree that obviously his performance was incredibly strong in the UAE Derby. I think my worry with him and the reason I ended up not using him is due to the fact that this is a very different surface than what they saw in May. And I've, I've talked with the, the uh, Japanese sort of writer via translator about that as well. 
Um, shout out to Kate. She's best. Um, Always so, a fun experience when you have to use a translator to conduct your interviews. No, she, I mean, Kate Hunter just, she, she obviously helps them a lot. I think the worry is that the tracks are just, the tracks are looser in Japan. They're looser because they're more sand based. They're basically just sand. And here obviously it's more dirt based. And, and that is slightly different. And when I, look, I think Dermasetica is talented enough to win it. But the thing is, I was looking at him going around. I'm just not sure he's going to put in his best performance at this track. I might be wrong because he's translated uh, from his performances in Japan to a, a decent third in the Saudi Derby and Saudi Arabia to Maiden. So clearly he, he can take a show on the road. Um, I might be wrong. I just haven't been as taken with him, seeing him on the track in the morning. So I guess that's just kind of the knock I have. He might go on to win the Kentucky Derby now after I said that. But that was that's a vibe I'm getting. Also, you have Continuar. He's just a little bit more of that underdog. There has been chats by people saying, you know, tactics, is he going to go to set it up for Derma Sotagake? I don't think that's what they should be doing with Continuar. I know he's on the outside. I think he's going to use up all his energy if they want to go and send him to the front. I think that would not work out for him at all. So I hope they don't because... You're in it to do well for, for yourself, right? Mm. Um, the horse I would have loved to have seen in the Derby, who's currently second on the AE list, Mandarin Hero. Now that horse I would have enjoyed seeing in the Derby just because he ran in the Santa Anita Derby, just got beaten by practical move in that blanket finish, did get a little bit of trouble, got bumped around a little bit. I thought that was such a great stateside debut. That really pricked my ears. So I would have enjoyed seeing Mandarin Hero. Um, I just, I don't think it will happen. I mean, it's Thursday right now. I hope, I hope nothing will happen. Let me phrase this differently. I hope nothing will happen to any of the current runners that causes them to drop out of the Derby. And he would have to have two drop out to come in. So I don't think he will. Look, I, Japan has been incredibly, incredibly strong stateside as of recent years. And that could very well translate in an inaugural Kentucky Derby win. I just haven't been as taken by the leading contender here for them in Derma Sotagake. So I ended up not using him. I, I do want to agree with Mark. Um, Tapit Trice was my second choice. Um, I love that bluegrass race. I think he's very talented. Hope, uh, such an efficient mover as well. If you ever want to watch his workouts with Amelia Green on top, the way it's just no wasted action. And, and the way he switches leads is so efficient. Uh, so I'd love to see him do well. They're, they're my top two. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how things pan out. Well, let's get confirmation. So of your box exactors and trifectas, beginning with Naomi, you've, you've given us the front two, but what is your, your trifecta for the Kentucky Derby in oh. order of preference? So I, yeah, verifying the number two is my, my top choice. I tap it twice. The number five in second did land on using Forte um, in third, the number 15, because I felt like I was going to kick myself as if he was the favorite anyone. And I didn't even <laughs> look at And look, he can win. He can it's just, it's a Kentucky Derby and anything can happen like I like I highlighted. And then I used Mage underneath, the number eight, who nearly looked like he had the better of Forte in the Florida Derby in the in his first grade one start, in his third career lifetime start. This horse has so much upside. The question is, can he handle a 20-horse field? Will he be ready for this? Will he be able to get out the gate a touch faster? In that Florida Derby, he was also just a little slow which isn't his style. Like he jumped better in the Fountain of Youth. On debut, he even took the lead. So I remember I spoke with uh, Gustavo Delgado Jr. about that. They've been working on that with him. I think Mage is a very talented runner who is on the upswing. I'm hoping he does well. He, he's my fourth pick underneath. 20 to one 
on this side of the pond as well. Mark Milligan, your box exacta and trifecta for the Kentucky Derby in order of preference. Yeah, um, I'm hoping Tappet Trice wins because obviously putting him up a, a big price a couple of months ago, that would be the ideal result for me. I would say anyone who's not currently on him at 16 to 1, I wouldn't be rushing to get involved at around 5 to 1. But I'd take him and Derma Satagaki in a box exacta and I'd throw in Forte to do the box trifecta with the, those two. Six of the last 10 winners were favourites. That was six in a row. We've had some wild price winners in recent years. So how's it going to go this year? Can't wait to see it. Uh, it'll be live on Sky just before midnight, Saturday night. Naomi, enjoy the whole spectacle of the Run for the Roses and the NBC coverage. Have an absolute blast. And thanks so much for your insight today. Yeah, thanks, guys. And that is it. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Final Forum Podcast. More great content coming your way next week. We're also doing a special on the legend of Lescargo with an author about that book. I think you're really going to enjoy that show. Uh, and yet more content about the concerns for the gambling white paper. We'll be joined by Greg Wood uh, and we'll also be joined by somebody who has been fighting for punters justice for years and years and years because your voice is not being heard on this. No one's listening to the punters. No one's listening to the betters. No one's listening to the consumer. We'll air all of those grievances and the major concerns with the gambling white paper again uh, on the Final Forum podcast next week. If you would like to listen to our current podcast, which has been huge, and thank you so, so much for the reaction to it. It is just below this episode on your podcast feed. Uh, from Naomi, Mark, and myself, we'll talk to you again very, very soon on the Final Forum podcast. Be safe, be well. God bless.